Today in the Vergecast, we'll break down the whole Google event, Pixel 7, Pixel 7 Pro, and of course the Pixel Watch. And Elon Musk somehow interrupts the show with some more news about Chancery Court and buying Twitter. That's coming up right after this. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Chris Pratt's Mario voice, <laughs> which was a lie. It's just a, it's just a normal podcast. <laughs> just a regular just podcast. Just a regular old podcast. <laughs> so you don't know this because you're listening later. You're, you know, time, the magic of time shifting is covering this up. You're in your car. You're going about your day. We are starting late. Me, your friend, Neli, David Pierce. Hi. Alex Kranz. Hi. We are starting late because we were waiting for the Nintendo Direct reveal of Chris Pratt's voice in the new Mario movie. And it's just his voice. <laughs> yeah, it's just Chris Pratt. Yeah, just no Bob Hoskins impression. No potentially offensive impression. Just, just Chris Pratt. I mean, he said it will be unlike anything you've ever heard. Right? <laughs> Parentheses, if you've never heard Chris Pratt before. I mean, a lot of people haven't watched Parks and Rec. They haven't seen Everwood. I, I get it. Right, but your choices are like the entertainingly but somewhat racist. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> I was going to say, right? like, every other option was worse. So, like, in a way, this is the he least interesting and Bob best Hoskins. Bob Hoskins does it. Bob Hoskins just went out there and he was like, I'm in this movie. I'm playing Mario. <laughs> yeah, he was just mad. By the way, you keep talking about Hoskins. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have not seen the Super Mario Brothers movie the starring The seminal Hoskins. classic starring him and John Leguizamo <laughs> shot in Brooklyn. It was not good. Like that movie came out when I was a child who was playing Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. And I was like, I'm going to give this one a miss. Oh, I loved it. It was like a transformative moment for me. I tried to do my hair like Koopa. Bob Hoskins, I think he he played it as I'm an actual plumber. Yeah. Right. He was like, what's wrong with these guys? You're turtles. Like he was like a very strange voice. <laughs> and then obviously there's like the famous sort of like modern day Mario voice. Woohoo! Yep. Which, again, it seems fine. Like we've we've all come up with it. I, my, my assumption is that if Chris Pratt had done that voice, he would be immediately canceled. <laughs> 
by Ita- like regular Italians and Italian Americans, they would have just been like, "You're done, <laughs> not doing this." And so he was like, "I'm going to do this other voice. You've never heard it before. It's like unlike." And so we all waited with bated breath. He only said one line that was like, "What is this place?" But it was just Chris. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're starting late today, and I got to tell you, I think we're all starting from a place of profound anger at Chris Brett yeah. for lying to us. Yeah, I had high hopes. But that's not... Wait. We had, look, well, maybe there's more movie. Maybe he's going to grow into the voice over the course of the movie. Yeah. That's a thing you can do. Maybe, maybe it's a trilogy, and by the end, it'll be full Mario. So, like, at the end <laughs> of the movie, Bowser's going to be like, who are you? And he's just going to be like, it's a me. <laughs> <laughs> Slam to credits. <laughs> the- the hardest It's a Me Mario ever delivered. So hard. Deadly serious. The movie looks very silly. When we when we started watching the trailer, Alex just went, oh, this movie's for children. <laughs> yep. The, We're too old. <laughs> there was a little bit of like the sort of thing they do in all trailers now where there's like the minor key theme comes up. Yeah. To make it like dark Mario. But then it was just a Mario movie. Anyway, go watch the trailer. You can watch it right now. Pull your car over. See if you are as disappointed as we were. I'm already for the, the gritty reboot starring Tom Holland. I'm ready for it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> that was the Bob Hoskins uh, movie. It the, was the gritty movie. Bob, the pre- it really was. They were like, what if Mario and Luigi were actually plumbers in this situation? <laughs> and they played it that way. In a dystopian future where everyone's yeah. a human dinosaur. Perfect. Oh, yeah, that was the plot. I mean, this movie came out. I, was I yeah. can't believe you remember this movie. So oh, long. my God. All right. That's not the news. We thought it was going to be the news. Uh, what, what were we thinking? The news. I mean, it's a big news week. Yeah. There was a Google event today. David was there along with V and Welch uh, and Allison. Uh, we got new Pixel 7, new Pixel 7 Pro. We saw the Pixel Watch. We saw a tease of the Pixel tablet. Elon is just Eloning like a maniac in the Delaware court system. Mm-hmm. The European governments are like, yeah, USB-C. Remember that? You're going to use it now, Apple. Uh, Allison <laughs> reviewed the iPhone 14 Plus, which still has a lightning connect. Just a lot going on. So I think the way we're going to break this down, we should start with Google and Pixel, and then we're going to have Liz join us and talk about Elon, right? Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Isn't that how yeah. we should do it? Yeah. That feels like the right plan. Let's start with the Google event. David, you were there with a full crew. We live logged it, the whole thing. What's going on? So this event was weird because Mm -hmm. Google back in June at I.O. just was like, here's all the stuff we're going to launch in September. And then just told us about all the things like we have a Pixel 7 and we have a Pixel 7 Pro and we have a Pixel watch. And we were like, tell us more. And they were like, later, no no problem. But so we get there today and it's at this place in Brooklyn called National Sawdust, which is, I guess, like a music venue. I don't know. Neil, I used to live near there. Did you ever go to National Sawdust? Yeah. It's a place. It's it's cute. It's in Williamsburg. Yeah. It's, It's nice. Um, yeah. But it was like, we're used to these things being sort of big spectacles. This one was yeah. very intimate. I like, it was basically four rows of these chairs, probably 60 people. It's like all journalists. And I was like eight feet from Rick Ostrolo as he's like introducing all these new gadgets. Um, it was nice to be in person again. Like, yeah. we, Neela, you and I have done a couple of these now mm-hmm. where like a lot of people get together and we all watch a video. Uh, this was <laughs> not that, which was nice. But yeah, they launched the Pixel 7, the Pixel 7 Pro. Pixel Watch, they told us a little bit about the Pixel Tablet, which is coming next year, and I think is actually, like, sneakily very interesting. And then basically made the, like, grand case for Google Gadgets, right? This, like, they've talked a lot about ambient computing. They've talked a lot about, like, putting all the pieces together. They started the whole thing with basically a a long, uh, I think, Neela, you were the one who called it the the corporate webinar about product design. Yes. It was a product design and, and, and privacy and safety. Right. And it just, if you've ever had to take a corporate training before in your life, 
where like at the end there's going to be a, a short quiz. Yeah. Very much that vibe. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, like, that track. Just, I was like, I don't, I, I don't want to remember what kind of <laughs> aluminum you use. I refuse, in fact, sir. Yeah. But yeah, they gave us the whole rundown. And then we went down the street to, I think, what is the newest Google store that they said just opened this summer uh, and got to actually see the things. And I don't know how y'all felt sort of watching it, but being there, it was like, the watch was by a mile the most interesting thing that happened today. Mm-hmm. And then the phones were phones. Uh, and we should talk about them, but like they're phones. And if you just like imagine a Pixel 7 in your head, you're correct. That's what it is. <laughs> and then everybody went around looking for the tablet, but the tablet wasn't there. But the best part about it was there were a bunch of Nest Hub Maxes there. And I was one of probably 50 people who walked up to one and tried to pull the two pieces apart to see <laughs> if it was a tablet. Uh, and it wasn't. It That's was just a Nest Hub Max. A <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it was interesting. And I will say, I think the watch to me is is both better seeming from the experience we've had of it so far and just like way more interesting than anything else that came out to get. Was that y'all's experience too? Yes. Do you think? Yes and no. Oh. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, yes, in the sense that like it's the new product category. David, you did a big feature with Rick and some other Google folks about it. People should go read it. It's interesting. My no is like all I can think for better or worse is when will Google stop caring about it? Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of the thrust of your feature in like Google. It's it's Google. Like they have created this problem for themselves where I just need to believe them. Right. And I'm actually more. And so like if I just had to rank them, I would say like the Pixel tablet to me, which isn't even out yet. And is like kind of vaporware because mm-hmm. the ship date is just 2023. Like, I know they're committed to the Nest Hubs. I know how I use the one in my house. I've watched it get software updates. Yep. I know that the CEO of Google cares a lot about Google Assistant and Chrome. <laughs> yeah. And like, I want that product to run Google Assistant and Chrome on it. So like, I know it's going to ship and it's going to do those things really well. And the watch is like, it'll ship and you'll get it. And then maybe two years from now, they're just going to shut it down. And like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how to quantify that. So it, it's true. Like it is the most interesting thing because it's a new category for them, a new kind of hardware, a bunch of new capabilities, a new thesis. But, you know, there's just a dark cloud around new Google things now. So your worry about commitment isn't for the phones. It's for the other products like the tablet and the watch. I know why they have to make the phones yeah. every year. It's obvious. Yep. Because they need something to scare Samsung with. Right. right. There's, they, if, if they let go of that. They might as well just like give Android to Samsung and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they like there's like a reason for that thing to exist. There's a reason for their smart home efforts to exist. Right. And you can make some case for the watch to exist. Right. If you don't have this category, Apple's just going to eat you at the watch. And then, the, you know, like there's a whole sort of like meandering road. Yes. Yeah. But it's a weird one because on the one hand, I think you could make the case. And this was the fun thing about writing this story and talking to Rick and a bunch of folks on the team. Like you could make the case that the watch is actually like crucially important to all of the things that Google wants to do Mm -hmm. because it's on your body, because it has biometrics, because it like understands you. It's like all the stuff that they want to do actually might require a thing that lives on your body, right? So I can see that. But it's also, to your point, by far the easiest one to walk away from right now. And Google has a really long history of walking away from these things. Like literally, I I had I had two calls with Google uh, two days apart. It was like a whatever, like a Tuesday and a Thursday. And on the in-between day, Google killed Stadia. Uh, and so it's just like, okay, this is – and I literally I, – I 
and opened both of those calls with like, why on earth should I believe you that you're serious about doing this? And basically their answer is like, all we can do is prove it to you, right? Like people asked us this question about the Pixel phones and we kept making the Pixel phones and now people don't ask us this question anymore. And like, I look forward to five years from now when I can say the same thing about a watch. And I was like, that's all well and good, but mm-hmm. like, you're asking me for $350 today. Yeah. And that is, that's a very different thing. The watch looks really nice. I will say like Alex, we, we have a couple of them around, like Alex and I have both been playing with them and it's got the round face. It's not huge. The interface has made huge strides. Yeah. It's much better to use than any Android smartwatch I've ever used. It definitely feels like it's probably going to be one of, if not the best Android smartwatch. I think so too. And it also, uh, V and I were talking about this earlier, like it basically just decimates Fitbit forever. Like, yeah. <laughs> Fitbit as a, as a thing that exists outside of Pixel products mm-hmm. is dead. Like there's just no reason to buy a Pixel or a Fitbit that isn't baked into the Pixel watch. Well, unless you have an iPhone, But right? that's I'm, yeah. fair. There is that. Uh, which is, it turns out, quite a large number of people. <laughs> but, but no, but I think you're right. And and there's just, Google has to like prove this weird thing that all evidence is against Google, which even with smartwatches, like Google has been making smartwatch software for a long time and intermittently seems to care about it and then forget about it and then care about it and then forget about it. I can see they're four years in now to caring about it. And that's a reasonably long time. But like, would I bet on Google continuing to make smartwatches on without stopping for the next 10 years? Like, absolutely not. I wonder how frustrating it is, though, for people who aren't like us. Like, I think every single one of us has sat in at least three calls where Google says, this is the time we care about smartwatches. Yeah, we're so serious. We are so serious. And most people haven't had to sit through that. Most people don't know that the LG style came out and was terrible. Most people don't know about all those other times or they haven't cared. So like, I wonder if that fatigue is unique to us or if that's a bigger thing. I think that's a fair point. But the the part that kept jumping out to me was there was this whole section in talking about the Pixel phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Brian Rakowski, one of the Google execs who's in charge of all the Pixel stuff, who was talking about how part of the Pixel promise is that it gets better over time, right? Like they do, right. the, they do the drops and their whole thing is like, we have this very powerful processor with a lot of machine learning and we can do all this stuff. And so we're actually in a position for your phone to get better over time as the AI work that we do continues to improve. And it's like, that's all well and good and there's actually some truth to that. Like uh, the Pixel software has gotten substantially better over the years. It only works if you keep doing it. And and like the Pixel Watch by all accounts has a bunch of stuff going for it, but it's like in no way a finished product. And Google has these big ambitions and it's like, you know, it's like a thing we always say, never buy a thing based on what it might be someday. Yeah. And Google is making these big promises about where they'll go someday. And I just think you'd sort of be crazy to believe them, even if they're telling the truth or they think they are. Yeah, I mean, the evaluating something on the potential of future software updates is uh, like I'm old now, and I'm just going to tell you it's a sucker's game. Yes, uh, and you shouldn't do it. But the you know this was true of like Amazon last week too, right? Amazon has just sort of like relentlessly iterated on Alexa, but it has reached its final form. Yeah, and like there's not much more they can say Alexa can do. Right, and so now they just like put it into they're like Alexa can fly now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like literally yeah. a product is like a flying ring camera with Alexa in it. Like fine, I, and I just think phones are that thing, and watches are not that thing yet. We don't yeah. know where watches are going to go, and Google's just starting well behind Apple. Right, so we should talk about the watch as it is and what the promises are today, what it can do. But then it's the question of as you were saying, David. The question is like it might be central to their whole strategy, and it's like worth understanding what that whole strategy even could be for this thing, even though it's like obvious it's not this one. And that, right, like they're going to make a Pixel Watch 2 and a Pixel Watch 3 and a Pixel Watch 4. And maybe by then we will believe them that they're committed to the product and will like live up to more of their ideals. Right. Right now, just from watching it, it seems like 
it's round. It's cool. It's a little bit smaller than Apple watches. It's got a bunch of cool Fitbit stuff in it and it's Wear OS. And that is it. Is, am I missing something? No, that's pretty much that's pretty much the extent of it. I mean, e- even the fact that they had James Park, who was formerly the CEO of Fitbit before they were bought by Google, do the presentation for the Pixel Watch, I thought was deeply fascinating. Like, yeah. Like Google, and I wrote about this bunch in the story, but like Google has these big ideas about like risk computers, right? And it's mm-hmm. like this thing should be contextual and it should understand you and it should interact with your other devices. Like they made a Fitbit, like make no mistake. Like the pixel watch <laughs> is a Fitbit that also runs Google maps. Like that is functionally what this thing but is. But we should, we should note a very good looking Fitbit. It is. It's, it's nice looking and by all extents or by all accounts, very powerful. Like, and Fitbit was terrible at making good looking smartwatches. Yes. Like the worst yes. at it. There was How's a, the bezel. This is what I mean. Honestly, we were 16 minutes into this and now I'm asking about the bezel. I've not done my job. How's the bezel? It's, this question is so hard to answer. Alex can vouch for this. So yeah. it's a weird thing where like the bezel is large. Yeah. It, it just is large. Um, but the way they've designed the UI is such that you don't actually notice the bezel it's, most of the time. It's like the bezel on on earlier Apple watches where like there's a bezel and, and you sometimes bump up against it. And I think you are going to bump up against it a lot more in this watch than on an Apple watch. But you don't really notice it that often. You're not like Ugh, a lot. Whereas previous round watches... You'd put it on and be like, yep, it's a big old bezel on Totally. There. Or it had that flat tire at the bottom like yeah. the, the Moto watches did. Like, it doesn't feel like any of that. It feels like it's all screen, except if, if for anybody who hasn't watched the keynote, I encourage you to go back to the keynote and look for the moment where they're testing. They're showing off that you can take a photo using the watch as a viewfinder. And there's a moment where you can see the little square viewfinder on it. And that is the moment where you're like, holy God, is that bezel enormous? Yeah. And <laughs> Google does a really good job of hiding it with the other UI. Like it's all really dark and it all sort of like fades off to the sides. So it doesn't, it's not just like color into a black bezel, but it's big. It's real, real, real big. If yeah. you actually find the thing where it hits against the bezel with color, you'll notice how big it is. I mean, I was thinking, like, we published this piece yesterday that was kind of like a timeline of the Pixel phone over the years. And it reminds me of that very first Pixel phone mm-hmm. where it was like, there's like some cool ideas in here, but oh, there's some really ugly design choices. Yeah, in it was here. not an attractive phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it feels like that same thing where it's like, Y'all have some really good ideas, but boy, and when it comes to design, Apple just schools you. Samsung just schools you. And they haven't done much to improve that. You know, it's funny. I feel that way about the phones. I don't feel that way about the watch. Really? I mean, you guys have seen, I have not. You got, yeah. Alex and David are in the office. We have a bunch of units. They've actually seen them. David was at the thing. I'm just watching the videos and reacting to the photos like everybody else. The watch seems like a composed thing. Like they have a point of view about it. The bands seem really cool. The band attachment mechanism seems really cool. Mm. The entire vibe, just from where I'm sitting, when you put different bands on, it seems like the entire vibe of the watch changes dramatically in a way that is like not true of the Apple Watch, actually. That's fair. Like you can put the fanciest band on Apple Watch. It's still an Apple Watch. This looks like it actually takes on a new character. That part's fine. The Pixel 7 is like, you can't convince me that you did anything to design this to make it look nicer. <laughs> you were just like, screw it. There's Neil is going to complain about it in the podcast, but this is what we got. We're just doing it again. We're like, just doing it. I mean, it, it's, 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 were you ugly. Not, it's an ugly phone. You weren't swayed by the 15 minutes of telling you about lemongrass and how nice all the human designs are. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> the colors are great. I will say. Yeah. Lemongrass and hazel. Dumb names, good colors. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, it's just... Wait, which is the lemongrass and which is the hazel? Lemongrass is the the sort of like off-greenish okay. one. 
That one's good, yeah. That is, it's it's like other companies would call that like sea foam or something, mm-hmm. but Google went with lemongrass. And hazel is, I don't know, it's, it's the hazel one. I don't, I don't have a good answer for you on that. And then one. there's like a gray one. That there's, might be the hazel one. Ooh, I, I like, don't know. None of these make any sense to me. Yeah. There was a part where Isabel from Google was like, the centerpiece of our warm colors is lemongrass. And then they showed the lemongrass. And I was like, that's a, but that's a cool color. And I still don't know what she meant. <laughs> Because then they're like, and here's the cool colors. And they were indeed much cooler. But I was like, just going back to the green. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the green was nice. The hazel is the kind of gray color. And I, I'm not a fan of that one. It felt a little like, it's got too much brown in it for me. It's That's too fair. warm. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Like, but my thing with the pixel design, and Neil, you've you've never liked the pixel design. And I feel like I, I nothing the pixel design. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that I like it, but I also like, I have no strong feelings against it. Is this how you broke up it. with people back when you were like, I nothing you. So like, here's the deal. I nothing you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm whelmed by, by this relationship that I have with my pixel seven pro. Uh, yeah. I, it just feels like it's, it's just like, it's not doing enough for me to like have strong feelings about it. Yeah. But people seem to have really strong feelings about it. I don't know. I just, I mean, it looks, it's shiny. I, I, I like that. It's, it's, it's very like, it feels luxurious. It looks pretty luxurious. The Pixel 7? That's the shiny one, right? <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the okay, Pro. Okay, this is what I mean. You you have strong feelings. How is it possible we, to have strong feelings? Okay, this? hold on. Hold on. We, <laughs> I have to make sure I'm talking about the right one. Here's what we know. I just want to put this out there. What we know from our own audience data and from your experience at the event is that people care about the watches more than the phones. Oh, unquestionably. Your desire to make me dunk on the phones, I'm resisting so we can finish <laughs> talking about the watches. All right, fine. <laughs> Tell me more about the watches. What's uh, Wear OS is updated. How, how's that working? Yeah, Wear OS actually seems really nice. Google has spent a bunch of time over the years trying to make it less complicated. Like, I went back mm-hmm. and watched the 2014 IO where they actually announced Android Wear in the first place. And it had this, like, the mental map of Android Wear was insane. Yeah. It was like, you, you you were on the screen, and then it was like, there was stuff to the right and stuff to the left and stuff up top, and you could go down farther, and it was insane. And so Google has pulled all of that way back, and it's basically, you, you get, like, small widgets and feeds, and you can swipe down to get to the control panel. It's like, it feels like teeny tiny Android, like, in a good way. Yeah. And... At least this watch is, I, I confess I'm slightly out of date in my Android smartwatch usage, but I this was my experience and I checked it with V and she agreed that this is like dramatically smoother and better feeling than any Android smartwatch I've ever used. Everything we've used so far for the most part was in like a demo mode, so it's really, it's hard to know what sort of the deep powerful stuff will be like, but even just like little swipes, it was the kind of thing that used to be sort of slow and stuttery and it would like miss when Mm -hmm. you would flick on the screen. And it just didn't seem to do any of that. Like they've done a really good job of actually tuning the thing up to work. And it was one of the things they told me they spent a lot of time on and sort of tacitly admitted in talking about it that like this was a thing they had not done well in the past and eventually realized they should probably get right. So Samsung smartwatches, Wear OS, traditionally, like Samsung smartwatches ran Tizen for a minute and they merged Tizen and Wear OS, and then Samsung is doing Samsung stuff, which is like their own riff on it. Mm-hmm. They barely even mention Wear OS when they introduce new versions of the Galaxy Watch, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like a flicker of a ghosted image on a slide in the transition between <laughs> two other slides in their presentations, <laughs> right? right? Um, like subliminal messages, like in right. between frames. White text on a white background. Yeah. It says, just says Android. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, Samsung watches have a point of view, right? Right. That you're and, they, and they're kind of like feature laden and there's lots of buttons and settings, Samsung stuff. This, from all accounts, 
is much more minimal, right? But it's still Wear OS. Yeah. Do you feel a split there? Do you feel like they've tried to pare it down and focus it? It's going to be a little hard to tell until we can like really put some apps on it and put the thing through its paces. But they clearly have tried to do that. Like I think your your reaction to what they're attempting to do is is the right one. That like they're they're trying to not make a thing that you spend a lot of time with. Like I'm sure you guys noticed this, but like voice interaction continues to be the thing that Google harps on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, with all of their devices, they're like voice is the answer, speech to text and text to speech. Like that's that's where we're headed. That's where all of this is going to go. And then they're trying to make things take fewer taps, which I think is meaningful that like with the the Fitbit stuff, it should just be sort of a quick scroll through information that you want. And Maps works much sim- much more simply. And they're definitely trying to get to the phase where like Samsung wants you to use your watch like a computer mm-hmm. uh, and Google definitely doesn't. I think de- Google still doesn't know exactly how you should use your watch, but the answer is not like a computer. Yeah, it feels like this time they've taken more of that Fitbit DNA because for years they they didn't they just wanted it to be like a watch that you could also get notifications on because they're like primary person putting Wear OS into watches was Michael Kors, you know, yeah, right. like they didn't care. Right. And now they've got the Fitbit. They've got all that fitness apparatus behind it. And it's like, OK, we can have a point of view, but it's still going to be software, but it's going to be fitness. It's totally. going to be like that. So that's my that's my kind of my last big question here. I don't think Apple knows why people are wearing these watches either, really, right? Like, if you yeah. go back in time, David, you were saying, like, the first Wear OS stuff was just a scattershot mess of things and, like, huge ideas. Yeah. So, so was the first Apple Watch. Do you remember when right. Apple was like, you're going to send heartbeats to people? <laughs> I want to do that right now. It was now. the two fingers, right? Yeah, you put two fingers a, on it and it sends you your heartbeat to somebody it? else. Yeah. A truly bizarre idea. <laughs> Um, that we should that. all be doing more of. Honestly, Apple should bring the heartbeats thing back. Can I can I send you my heartbeat now? Yes. I think it's still there. No, that just opened the weather app. <laughs> I tried. I put two fingers on my watch. Nothing happened. Uh, I will say that the walkie-talkie feature in the Apple Watch is criminally underrated, underutilized. I use it all the time. Absolutely. Apple should put all of its development. Stop making the car. Rake the watch walkie-talkie better. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, but, you know, like like all of these devices, Google started with a huge idea and they've had to pare it down. Apple started with a huge idea and they've had to pare it down. Apple has very much landed on, well, the Apple Watch Ultra is like basically a huge computer on your wrist, big screen, app store, the whole thing can work independently of the phone now. But really, we know that the reason you buy it is like health and fitness, right? And the, the Ultra is like the pinnacle of that, right? They're like, this is for people yeah. who dive. Yep. Right. Like you have to pick which band you want, depending on what kind of mountaineer you are. And obviously you've already considered that (laughs) because they know like this is what drives the thing. Google was like, we have to buy Fitbit in order to be competitive. We've added a Fitbit to it. Are there like meaningful fitness features out of Fitbit here or is it just a Fitbit? It's basically just a Fitbit. It seems to be a particularly good one. I feel like that's enough because the Fitbit audience was never the ultra audience. It was never the Garmin audience. It was never like the super fit audience, right? The Fitbit audience has always been the same audience as the Apple Watch where it's like, yeah, sometimes I want to know my heart rate. Sometimes I want to be able to show my friends that I I walked outside today so that they stop shaming me. Like, like that's (laughs) always kind of been the goal of these products. And this is like, okay, finally you have an alternative to Apple if you want, hopefully, if you want just a nice looking watch watch that does those very basics. And if you want to get more hardcore than that, Garmin or Samsung or whoever's there. But I think this is really for that that Fitbit audience who's been like dicked around for years yeah. with really bad smartwatches from Fitbit. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Like Google needed Fitbit 
in a big way, but Fitbit also needed Google. Yeah. So like people have been asking Fitbit to make better looking devices for as long as Fitbit has existed. And Fitbit just basically has not been able to do it. Like the company has sort of intermittently tried. Like I remember doing a story, God, eight years ago, maybe where Fitbit was like, we're going to start making fitness trackers that are like jewelry. Yeah. And it was like, all right. And then they were like, look at this one we made. It's six inches long and rock solid. And it's just a Fitbit. It was just like, <laughs> like a black pill and you put it. it in a gold bracelet. Yeah. And I think like, I think the thing we, we, we don't talk about enough is like Fitbit's primary audience for a long time was women. Yeah. And, and women have been left out oftentimes from smartwatches because so many smartwatches are these really, really big watches. And a lot of women and a lot of people with smaller wrists love to wear them. I'm wearing one, but a lot don't. Yep. And so they've held on to their Fitbits for a very long time, or they've just been like, all right, I guess I'm just going to get, you know, a $10 special watch at Walmart just so I have something to wear. And this is like, this is for them. This is for people who are like, I don't need all the big gadgets and stuff. I just want something nice that I can like be in on this too with everybody else. Yeah, I, no, think. I, I totally, I think that's exactly right. I just want to come back to the idea that two things you can do with smartwatches now are send your heartbeats to people and then per <laughs> Alex, shame them for not walking enough. Yes. Those are your two choices. Oh my God, Every do you, not, do you not remember? Sending direct love taps yeah. or, or you're like, like, you didn't walk enough. You were lazy. <laughs> do you remember the, when the Fitbit first came out, everyone I know was like, oh yeah, I have a Fitbit because I care about fitness. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you, that, you, you don't need that. That's yeah. too performative. And so it is that like performative stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I think it's neat. I'm curious to see, you know, Google took a couple of hard shots at Apple today. Uh, we should talk about mm -hmm. them more with the phone in the next section. But it, this is the point now where they can start to pressure Apple even again, even in terms of regulations about, hey, there's a lot of people that would like to buy this watch instead of your watch and you won't let them. Yep. And I, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's probably the same. There's probably some Android people that would like to have an Apple watch, just like some Android people buy AirPods or whatever. Well, it's like one one thing Google would really like you to know is that FastPair is a thing that exists and is open to lots of different devices. And also that Beats headphones use FastPair. Um, those are two things that I can tell you confidently Google would very much like a lot more people to know. Uh, and, and it's like, and I think you're exactly right. Those are the things. And that came up even, even during the keynote today. It was like Google is sometimes quietly and sometimes not particularly quietly, like continuing to push Apple on this idea that like, if you make this stuff work better, everyone will be happier and be better. And I don't know that there are a ton of iPhone users who are like mad about the Apple Watch, but are going to clamor for a Pixel Watch. But it would I, it would be a more fun world if we could find out. I I, I tend to think. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I just I just keep coming back to the idea. It's like I'm not going to switch my entire life over to Google Services for a three hundred and fifty dollar watch. Right. It just yeah. doesn't seem likely. So the market is already teeny tiny. They can't go compete in the market of iPhone owners too. Just like Apple can't go compete in the market of Android owners. Apple just seems content because all the rich people are on their side. Like that's, they know it's true. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay, we're going to. Do you think Google's move is, is it more possible that Google could get people to switch from Samsung to Pixel in order to get a $350 watch? Like, is that the move Does for a Pixel Google? watch work with Samsung phones? I believe so. The thing on the box, we'll have to test this, so I, I, I reserve the right to be wrong about this, but it just says an Android phone running Android 8.0 yeah, like, or later, so it, it should work It would be fine. really stupid if it only worked with Pixel phones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there will be 12. Pixel specific stuff. Like I think that it's possible that the the viewfinder is one thing that seems likely to me probably only works on a Pixel, but I'd be it would be yeah, you're and right. I it think would we're, be stupid of Google to We're forgetting do that. that like the United States iPhone reigns supreme. 
the United States is just one country. Mm-hmm. In a lot of places, Android reigns supreme. And now like, oh, a competitor to Samsung that's nice looking, that's smaller. Like I could see that doing some real numbers in a lot of places. Yeah, that's true. I think so too. All right, we should take a break. That's the watch 349 without LTE 399. With LTE, it's coming out soon. We'll have reviews. As always, we gotta like use the thing before we can talk to you even more about it. We gotta take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about the Pixel 7, Pixel 7 Pro. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back. We talked about the watch a little bit. David tried to bait me into talking about the phone. Here's what I'm going to say about the Pixel 7. One, just like the iPhone 14, it looks the same as the phone before it. (laughs) Which our YouTube commenters don't seem to have understood that we said about the iPhone 14. So that's just my note uh, to the the YouTube commenters out there, who all of whom I'm sure listen to this. Yeah. But you will note that our headline on the iPhone 14 review was, this is the iPhone 13S. Yeah. Sorry, you, you could have had what you wanted. You just didn't didn't Google it. <laughs> like, I don't want to tell you. We gave you the thing you want. You're like, I would like some chocolate chips. And we we're like, yes, they're here. And you're like yelling at us. There's no chocolate chips. Just get what you want. There's only one skill and it's getting what you want. <laughs> That's true. That's my life advice for you today. Second, it's still ugly. <laughs> <laughs> they're just ugly phones. I don't know what to tell you about them. That camera bump is horrendous. The colors are slightly nicer. They have refined some of the edges, or, you know, like they've done some things. They're not attractive. I think that they're shiny. And maybe I'm just like easily distracted by shiny at this point. But I was like, ooh, that that gold bump. It's so shiny with the glass underneath. Ooh, 
Like that just, I don't want it. I don't want to own this device because I, I just bought a phone. And I don't need yeah, another one. Sure. But but I was like, that is that is appealing. That is a pleasing look to my eyes. Yeah, this is my thing, Neelai. Like, I just don't get the hatred for it. It's like... It, is it because it's so boring? It's like looking at this, like, boring white table and being like, that table is so ugly. It's like, no, it's not interesting <laughs> enough to be ugly. Like, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, look, all phones are kind of boring now. Like, yes, maybe that's yeah, it. that's just, true. I'll give you that. I'm just, like, the back of this thing, the glass, and then the weird surround, and, they're, like, at least the, my Pixel 6s, there was, a like, a noticeable ridge between the glass and the metal, and I haven't touched a 7. Maybe they ever find it. They're just ugly. Like the bump is bad. The bump is bad, but it's not as bad. This is like someone like a Google engineer opened one of the AI image generators and was like generic smartphone. (laughs) And then it's like this sort of like mutated AI version of a generic smartphone got spit out every time. It's, I don't know. It's like the uncanny valley of generic smartphone design. Whatever, it doesn't matter. You're going to put it in a case anyway. Yep. <laughs> the cases last year were horrible. Chris Welch says the cases this year are slightly better. Chris Welch, Fine. I just, Chris Welch deserves some credit for this. I'm just going to tell a very short story about Chris Welch. So I'm wandering around the Google store, like looking at the phones, taking video, taking pictures. And I walk over and Chris Welch is standing in front of a wall display, reaching up to a set of three pixels about eight or nine feet off the ground. And he's just <laughs> yanking at one of them. And I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? And he's like, just hold on. Don't just everything, make sure everything's fine. And he literally just yanks the case off of one of them, pulls it down, takes off his own case, puts them down and goes, does this feel any different? And he goes, nope, it's the same. That sucks. And then just walks away. It's <laughs> like, all right, Chris, just yanking phones off walls. It's like, if you did that at an Apple event, they would have killed you. Like right then and there, somebody would have just sniped you from the Steve Jobs theater. Yeah. But at the Google Store, they don't care. I will say when I put on the Apple Watch Ultra, the Apple event, things were dicey for one moment. <laughs> they were like, uh, uh-huh. maybe you should be in jail. And, it, and at the Google Store, they're like, you're touching our phone. Hooray. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's all they want. All right. So, look, that's the way it looks. You're going to put a case on it anyway. We should talk about the phones. New Tensor chip, the G2, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of. What else? Um, new cameras. And I actually, I want to talk about the cameras because Google talked a lot of shit about Apple and then basically just said, we did the Apple camera, but we'll come back to that. Tensor G2, there's a 6.3 inch screen on the Pixel 7 and a 6.7 inch screen on the Pixel 7 Pro. Both have variable refresh rate, both go up to 90 Hertz. It's all like medium exciting. They did a bunch of stuff with phone calls that I thought was pretty interesting. They're like, one of their big new features was stuff that if you're going through a like a phone tree to, you know, press nine to get to whatever, it'll just show that to you as a menu on your screen now. And you can just tap the thing you want. That's it'll awesome. send you where you're going. It's very smart. And they did a bunch of AI work to like improve the quality of phone calls. You can reduce background noise and enhance your own voice. So there's just a bunch of little things like that kind of all over the phone. Speaker recognition on the recorder app, which is one of those things that no one cares about, but a room full of journalists got really excited <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, it, like it got the biggest gasp of any announcement from the reporters in the room. And that is the entire list of people who will use that feature. And then, yeah, just a ton of of little things. They spent a lot of time on the camera. That was obviously the thing. And like Google is, is in the same way that Google is crystal clear that people buy smartwatches for health reasons, they buy phones for cameras. Like that just is true. And well, they have to like the cool feature this year was that they can take your crummy blurry photos and make them look better. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of been Google's thing for a while, right? Like the, the magic eraser thing works relatively well. They did have the new feature where they'll do it with your old photos that I think is very cool. Yeah. And there was a guy walking around the Google store after the event who was very proud that he thought he was the first person to use the hashtag fixed by pixel. And he was like, 
we should make that a thing. And the Google employees were like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh so that was fine. But um, but yeah, that idea that Google can not only like help you take better pictures, but actually fix them after the fact is a big part of what they're starting to push on now with all the AI and ML stuff. And well, well, so but that one in particular they announced was you've taken thousands of photos with cameras in the past, phones in the past. You buy a Pixel 7 mm-hmm. and you have Google Photos and then Google Photos on your Pixel 7 using the Tensor G2 will will like upscale your old blurry photos or deblur them or something. That's right. What is a photo, Neelai? What is a photo? Well, so f- like the, the what is a photo vibes coming off the Pixel event oh, yeah. are out of control. Oh, yeah. Like fully out of control. So just that. Why can't Google Photos just do that? Right? Like Google Photos runs on Google servers. But do you pay for Google Photos? Yes. I pay quite a bit of money for Google Photos. Okay. Right? Never mind. I have like the upgraded storage plan, the whole thing. I mean, they, like famously, Google gave Google Photos away for free yeah. until they destroyed the market for photo services, and now they charge for it. Right. That's actually a super interesting question because it's not like Google Photos is short of access to processing power, right? Like Google has data centers. Those can do some things. That's really interesting. Yeah, that that is a device-specific thing. That has to have been just a deliberate marketing choice. There's no technical reason to just not put that into Google Photos. Yeah, um, I think it was Dan who said they they say they need something in the Tensor G2 chip to do it. But it's like, (laughs) you make the chip. Yeah. Yeah. And also your data centers are full of Tensor chips. Uh Uh-huh. That's like a part of the whole thing. Like the tensor came out of all the work they were doing in their data centers. Like <laughs> these two things are the same. So I just, that's a little confusing, but that's one thing. And I don't even think that like really implicates the, what is a photo conversation? Like you have an old photo and you're going to do some processing on it to make it a better photo. Like I, I understand how that works. Cause you still have sure. the old photo, right? Yeah. yeah. Now you just have like the second improved version. Like that's just photo editing right like maybe it's a more complicated thing but you you're you've like created a photo you're editing it the camera on the pixel 7 is just far beyond like capturing a still image in time yes it it, it just has abandoned that idea of making a photo (laughs) that way like almost completely and so the the one that really got me was all of the zoom stuff they're doing yep where they're like okay we have a number of zoom lens we have an ultra wide we have a wide we have a zoom at every point along the magnification from regular to 2x to 10x to whatever else 30 was the max which is bananas we're gonna merge frames from multiple cameras run them through the hdr pipeline that we've set up and then do ai to create more detail and it's like yo like at some point it really is you're just holding up your phone to reality and giving the AI prompt. Yeah. Like recreate the scene. Like, like it might as well be Dolly for reality, right? Like <laughs> Google interpret reality. Right. They're, they're like, and if you just like watch that, I encourage everyone to go watch it again and just like yeah. come at it from that perspective. When you take a photo, you think you are capturing a moment in time, right? You're going to open the shutter. Some pixels are going to hit the thing and close the shutter. And there's a lot to be said about how long the shutter is open and how long that moment in time really is and all this stuff. Google is now like literally a computer is looking at reality and it's going to try to faithfully reconstruct what we think that reality is yeah. using more data than your eyes can possibly process at once. Yeah, we've, we've moved away from like optics being the primary way that like the light is gathered and interpreted. And now it's like, OK, the optics are going to gather the light and then we're actually going to interpret it. 
yeah, yeah. it's like a it's like a rendering engine yeah it's just very lifelike it, it's kind of wild especially i noticed the same thing in the zoom ones where it's like they're going through and he just is like okay it takes you know if you want to be at between two and five x zoom it's going to take the telephoto lens and the wide lens and actually do some work to comp them together. And it's like, okay, we're still working from images here. And then it's like, by the time you get to 30, it's like, okay, we're doing, we're stabilizing for handshake. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff on the other end. We're pixel binning. It's like, I'm snapping the shutter. And that is the beginning of like a 16 step process that ends in, I get a thing that looks like a photograph. Yeah. But there's so much happening in between there that Google is in charge of that it is just wild. Yeah. And there's so much that isn't really transparent about what's going on there. I mean, except at the end, you get to see what you see and the photo at the end. Like, there's at least a check on what the thing just Yeah, but you're not seeing those those processes. Like, if I'm in Photoshop, I can see every layer. I know what I'm doing. Whereas this, it's like, (laughs) ta-da. I mean, most people probably think that's fine, though. Like. I think, yeah, I think most people think it's fine. But like what Dave was talking about with the zoom on the stabilized zoom when you shoot a video mm-hmm. and they were like, we know this is noisy, so we're just going to clean it up. And they just showed like adding detail back to the thing that the mm-hmm. sensor couldn't have captured. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like you should, the, uh, there's just something about all of this. That's like, we're getting a little, we're getting a little closer to the photo is just a prompt yeah. or a number of systems to just spit out an image that you th- that it thinks you will like. Yeah. I'm really excited for the Spike Jones movie in like five years where like somebody's running from a crime that their Google Pixel phone. No, like no, this already. No, 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 no. This is what I'm saying. Like not to get too dark. Yeah. This was the basis of a completely nonsensical set of objections in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Oh, wow. Do you remember this? They had all this photo evidence and his lawyers were like, your honor, like Apple iPhones are, they are known to use AI to interpolate scenes however they want. And like evidence got tossed out because the prosecutors in Kenosha, Wisconsin were not very good. Um, (laughs) uh, And they were just like not prepared for this objection. Like it's it's already has happened in a very high profile case that like the thing that a camera makes is so unknown that you can like you can undo it. You can undo its validity because you can't, you have to bring in an expert to explain how it works. And like, that has nothing to do with family photos. Like I'm very happy that the Google pixel seven pro can like take a better picture of a child than the phone that came before it or a phone from two years ago. But just philosophically, the thing that happens when you push a shutter button is getting farther and farther away from like centuries of cultural expectation of what pushing a shutter button does. Yeah. And there's no like underlying transparency of here is this moment as it existed in time. And here is this thing that we made that is the best version of that moment. Yeah. I remember Google saying to me a while ago, and I think this was with the either the first or the second pixel that do you guys remember with those phones, you would take the picture and then you would open it up in the photos app and it would show up slightly blurry and then it would sort of resolve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told me at the time. And there's like a 60% chance this was a lie. But they told me at the time that that was deliberate, that it's like it should – you. they wanted you to understand that something was happening to the photo that you took as Google was, was like working its magic on it. And that should have gotten better and instead it just went away. And well, there's it's, like it's so abstracted away from what users see now. It's It's weird because like camera makers figured this out, right? They said, okay, you'll get a raw – and that's what we're taking. That's optically the thing. Right. And then we're going to give you a JPEG. And a Canon JPEG is going to be way warmer than it should be because 
Canon just thinks that's prettier. <laughs> yeah. And and we're going to do tons and tons of processing. And so, like, they've, they've already kind of acknowledged that and said, okay, but we're still going to give you the raw. And Apple's finally giving us the raw. And I think, like, kind of making that connection and, and, and making that more common might be part of the solution here to, like, escape this, like, kind of wonky philosophical and potentially legal quandary. Totally. So the the thing about the camera that really struck me, though, it was like in the course of all of these announcements was they just did the Apple stuff with the camera, right? Like yeah. they're doing some of the same pixel binning. The, the cinematic stuff is very Apple, all of this. And this all came as simultaneously Google is just taking every opportunity it can to just knife Apple about RCS and crash detection coming three years ago and all this stuff. And it's just like, I had this moment of sitting there and being like, oh, all phones are the same now. And everybody's just going to yell at each other about everything. And all the phones are the same. Like, this is just where we are. Yep. Yeah, they made they had the list, right? It was like the always on display and car crash detection, lock screen widgets, Mm -hmm. night mode, like. They made a list like here's all the stuff we did first that Apple picked up, and then they it's true they got to the camera section. They're like, here's what we can do. It's a two x zoom, and we crop the sensor. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we just. Saw. I think there's there's an element where it's once you have the big pixel bin sensor, mm-hmm. there's a handful of moves that you get out of it that are very obvious, right? Yeah, yeah. You can stop pixel binning, and you can crop in and use the pixels natively. It all comes down to the processing on the back end. So I, you know, I think you all know this way. Apple's processing to me is just like way out of control lately. Mm-hmm. And Pixel has traditionally been better. So like, I think we got to review the phones to see. Yeah. It just, I just keep coming back to this. Like Google is being so aggressive with letting AI step in and fix the photos that like, it's like, do I even trust this anymore? I don't know. Maybe it's just like old school. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting being in the room too, because the demos that they showed, like Apple, Apple is very funny in the sense that there's very clearly like a large team of people at Apple whose job it is to just go to beautiful waterfalls and take the pictures that they use in their slides. Yeah. And they even said during the keynote today that like one of the pictures they used as an example of how good the Zoom was was just like a shot a person who works at Google took. And (laughs) the demos they showed were not great, but were probably substantially more realistic than the stuff that like I'm going to get out of my iPhone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, because iPhone, the iPhone is like, you know what? Are you ever on a dune in a desert <laughs> at night yeah. <laughs> with have 11 been, professional photographers? You ever been have there? Have you ever worn a sweater at dusk in Paris <laughs> with three beautiful people? And there's just a and cat a full over there. crew of lighting yeah. engineers. Yeah. And everyone has very vibrant hats on. <laughs> <laughs> the next time we review the films, the hat budget's got to increase. got to absolutely yeah. increase it. Uh, but it, it was just striking to me to see, like, a, these two companies are competing more head-to-head, I think, than ever because, like, mm-hmm. Google's talking a ton about Tensor at the same time Apple is talking a ton about the recent A-series and M-series chips. And it's like, these companies are, are competing along the same lines now. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to see. There's so many places they could push it, but they're all betting well, on Well, there's one line they're not competing on, which is that Apple sells a million phones <laughs> and carriers will all but yes. pay you to get a new iPhone. Fair. And Google sells vanishingly few phones. I think uh, Vlad Savov, uh, one of our uh, former Verge senior editor, former co-founder, any former co-founder, existing co-founder, permanent co-founder. Now, Bloomberg tweeted, he asked IDC, Google since 2016 has sold like 27 million pixels. That's as many phones as Samsung sells in a year. Like <laughs> Google has to sell. Like, I mean, it's just like ridiculous situation. Yeah. So many more phones. Yeah. And there was a, there was a line today that Google has like doubled its order 
for the Pixel 7s because they're they're hoping to sell more. And it's really, it's like they're going from like a tiny number to a tiny number. <laughs> like, good job, Google. Like, we're proud of you. But it's a long road to go here. It's a long road to go. Uh, we should quickly, we got to get, we got to bring Liz on to talk about Elon. We should quickly talk about the tablet. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited about just because I, I have a Nest Hub mm-hmm. and we use it for photos and we talk to Google to set timers, all the things. You, well, the one thing you do, you set timers, you ask for music. Occasionally you ask it to play YouTube TV. Which is very yeah. cool when it works. Yep. So like having a bigger version of that is cool. But if you can also run Chrome on a fast processor, done. Yes. Like kitchen computer solved. And so like I'm going to buy one in this dock that lets you turn it into a Nest Hub just because having the backstop of like, screw it, I'm just going to open Chrome. Yeah. It sounds great. But Lenovo already did it. Lenovo's been doing it, right? Like, have you, but they put like a garbage MediaTek processor yeah. in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> With like a, the big bezel. Like, Amazon has already done it too, but then you've got to use Amazon's weird browser on their bad okay. shit. So, so what's appealing to you is that it's, it's a different form. It's a different processor. What's appealing to me is that Google appears to have cared about processing <laughs> capability in a tablet <laughs> by putting in their high-end ARM chip. Everybody else is designed. just like, eh. Right, like Lenovo has done it, but they like fully cheaped out on this tablet. Yeah, yes. like bad display, chunky, you know, bad construction, shitty processor. Like life's too short for slow computers, man. You know, like I'm gonna just go get my laptop. How how expensive is it gonna be? That's that's because like Lenovo cheaped out because they were like, we want to get it down to a price that it makes yeah. sense, and this is like seems pricey. David, did they have the tablet there? Did you get to play with it? No, we went we went looking for it. And there were there were several instances of people like wandering around the Google store trying to peel apart a Nest Hub Max to try and find <laughs> it to no avail. That's pretty good. But the there was no tablet and we don't know what it's going to cost. We don't know when it's coming. It does, from all the videos, look very much like a Samsung tablet from like eight years ago. But it seems to be very powerful. And I'm with you on the idea that like a full Chrome browser on my Nest Hub Max goes a long way. Like, I think the big questions for me are like, is the speaker in the dock going to be any good? Are they going to do a good job with the far field microphones so that it feels enough like a Nest from far away? And how much does it cost? Are they going to do the ambient photo mode thing where they do the reflective color thing? You know, like they got to do that to make this really work. Yes. Well, they they, they got to release it first. Well, there's there's that too. It is very much still vaporware. But I think they, they said this thing during the keynote that was like a lot of people get tablets and then they're like dead in drawers or charging in corners all the time. And that is largely my experience of owning a tablet. <laughs> it's like, Aww. it is a home device. Like it, it is a thing I use around my house much more often than I use it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And- so I think they're like they're they're on to something smart about how people actually use their tablets. We'll see how well they actually pull it off. But I agree that like fast processor and full Chrome browser instantly makes this thing more useful than anything else I've ever put in my kitchen. Then the KitchenAid? Yeah. It's true. The knives. Okay. It's the second <laughs> most useful gadget I've ever put in my kitchen. Is the kitchen Good a gadget? Sir, do you not have a Can stove? Can we talk about this? Is a kitchen or is, is a sink a gadget? Here's what I want. I want a 2.3 gigahertz processor in my microwave. I want it stacked. All right, that's all the stuff. We're, we're going to get it. We're going to get reviews. Uh, we're going to go into it in detail when we actually get a chance to play with this stuff outside of the watchful eyes of Google employees. That's coming up soon. We got to take a break. Bring Liz on. Oh, boy. We got to talk about Elon and Twitter. We'll be right back. Okay, Liz Lapato, welcome to the Virtualcast. Thanks for having me, folks. Good to be here. Okay, so 
let's just be honest. We've been recording for an hour. It's Thursday, October 6th. <laughs> Has anything happened in the last hour with Elon and Twitter? Yes. Um, of course. So I- <laughs> of course. <laughs> As is always the case. Does he, does he own it yet? No. Okay. So he filed a thing with the Delaware court saying, hey, we should have a stay of proceedings because I'm totally going to buy it. Like, I'm totally buying it this time. And then Twitter, like, filed their own little thing that's like, absolutely don't stay the proceedings. We don't buy this. We think he's up to some mischief, which, you know what? I kind of agree with Twitter here because, like, just given what a week today has been, um, (laughs) I think that, like, I think that we're I think we're in for more shenanigans. And I also think I'm still going to Delaware. Okay, so let's just back up. When Liz says she's going to Delaware, what she means is she's going not for like a pleasure visit, although I think you might have a good time. She's going to go to the (laughs) trial, which is taking place at the Delaware Chancery Court, right? That's what you might do in Delaware. That is what I'm going to do. Let's just back up before today in this last hour of surprise news. So Elon said he was going to buy Twitter for $54.20 a share. It's $44 billion. April. Nice. God only knows what. And a bunch of rich people. Wait, wait, wait. Please sum up the entirety of the last six months of Elon and Twitter in the next 60 or so seconds. Just start at the clock. Start at the clock. (laughs) All right. Let's see what I can do. All right. My timer's going. You've got you've got 60 seconds starting now. Okay, so in April, Elon tweeted himself into buying Twitter. There's no other way to describe it for fifty four twenty a share, which is forty four billion dollars. Nice. It turns out a bunch of rich people texted him embarrassing ideas about Twitter, including Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, who just said things like Twitter OS, conversational OS for your life, and Twitter. And Elon <laughs> said, "Screw you." Then May he gets cold feet. He sues Twitter, says, "I want out of the deal because there's so many bots on your platform." Twitter says, "What the hell are you talking about? We'll see you in the Delaware Court of Chancery." We've been in a lawsuit ever since. Elon's entire bot argument has proven to be a total fraud, full of shenanigans. He's losing, losing, losing. We're coming up on trial. He's supposed to be deposed today. Uh, trial starts October 17th. He files a letter with the Security and Exchange Commission, not the court, saying, I'm fine, I'm going to do it. The court puts out a letter yesterday saying, no one has filed a motion to stay this trial. We continue. Then there's been a lot of shenanigans today leading up to Elon saying to the court, please stay, which means pause the trial. I'm actually going to do it. Twitter won't say yes for an answer. That was the last hour. That's a minute. And now we're here. That was amazing. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) So I also want to say the other thing is if you weren't paying attention, there are reports that Elon, his deposition got moved back, which is what I think all of the shenanigans this week were about, was were about pushing back that deposition by saying, oh, Twitter, we're really serious. Come back to the bargaining table. Because, you know, this was going to be a really unpleasant deposition for him because the judge found this week that he may have irretrievably uh, deleted some signal messages that Uh pertain to the deal, which not great. And then there's also a bunch of questions about the bot stuff, because that didn't really show up in the text messages that we saw with, for instance, Parag Agrawal, who had sort of politely asked Elon to stop saying rude stuff about Twitter on Twitter. And Elon was like, what did you do this week? Which, like, pretty solid burn. Yeah. No, just to be clear, he said stop. I think it was like, what did you get accomplished this week or what did you get done this week? Implying that he was, was what did you get done this week? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I mean, 30 seconds after the text from Prague came in. Again, yeah. a pretty solid burn. But like, I definitely would not like, you know, go through all of these like court proceedings just to like get a cool burn in. But like, yeah. that's me. I don't know. So then Elon puts out this letter. We all kind of bought it, right? He says, I'm going to buy Twitter at 5420 a share. And then we like read the letter and that I'm going to actually buy it was like conditional in weird ways. Like you have to pause the lawsuit. You have to drop your claims. I have to get my money out of the banks. 
And we're like, wait, this is nothing. But mm-hmm. if you're Twitter, you've already had Elon promise to buy you for fifty four twenty a share. Right. But this time why, he means why, it. Why would you believe him now? He's serious, Neli. Come on. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I'm just going to add here is that Elon is famously an SEC disrespecter. Um, which you may recall from previous shenanigans involving Twitter, where he tried to take a Tesla public or a Tesla private for four twenty a share, and then like changed his mind about that. And then there was a twi- like an SEC settlement. He was supposed to have like a Twitter sitter, which he maybe or may does or does not have. Sort of hard to tell. So you know he's gone on the record saying he doesn't respect the SEC, which makes the SEC letter a particularly funny move to me. Like, yeah, I'm going to file a letter with this organization that has nothing to do with the Delaware Court and that I don't respect saying that I'm going to buy Twitter. Now you should take it seriously. Well, And it seems like a big part of his whole thing through this whole process has been essentially assuming that the rules don't apply to him because he has lots of evidence that the rules don't apply to him. And then slowly realizing that in the Delaware Court of Chancery, <laughs> the rules look an awful lot like they're going to apply to him. Yeah. And as, as that has become more and more clear, he has gotten more and more nervous about what's going to happen, especially as it got towards his deposition and the text with his friends came out. Neil, the only thing you missed in your description was Jason Calacanis, who I now think is the single funniest and most important part of the entire (laughs) Elon Musk Twitter saga. Uh, Someday we will just do a dramatic reading of all of his texts on this podcast and it will be a great day. But that like the, the vibe I get consistently is, is just Elon suddenly going, Oh, like this might actually, I might lose. Like, I don't know that that occurred to him for a long time. And it now sort of seems like it has occurred to him. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, One of the things that I've been keeping an eye on throughout this trial is that, um, or these legal proceedings, I guess, we haven't gotten to the trial yet. This is the mechanism, the forcing mechanism for Twitter, right? And so, like, if you're trying to get this done because you want certainty, you can do things like say, hey, we'll forego the trial if, and, like, maybe knock a buck or two off the deal price if you just do the deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and but as these these motions have been coming in and over and over again, uh, the court has mostly been ruling in favor of Twitter and finding th- out things like, you know, at the one of the last hearings that uh, Elon Musk's bot experts actually seem to agree with Twitter's bot estimates, <laughs> which is something of a problem for Elon Musk's case. Just putting it out there. As we're finding these things out, his case just looks worse and worse. And although like the lawyers who are working on this case are really serious and frankly kind of scary, this isn't the kind of case that even serious and scary lawyers can be certain they're going to win because I don't think the facts are necessarily in Elon's favor. And so the closer we get to this, the more we find this out. And then like... The other thing that's going on is the deposition, which was supposed to happen today and got pushed back. So my personal going theory, like everybody tinfoil hats on, Mm because I can't see what's happening in these negotiations. I'm just guessing. But my personal theory is that he tried to push back his deposition by uh, filing this letter with the SEC um, and succeeded in doing so. And there's a really hard deadline coming up for all of the pretrial stuff, which I believe is October 12th. So... If Elon Musk's deposition is pushed back, that gives Twitter less time to work with it and less time to prepare for trial because he's super important to all of these events. And that like kind of makes trial a lot more annoying for Twitter. Can he, sorry, can he avoid 
can he like push the deposition fat back even further? Be like, oh, I got a cold today, so I can't do it. So, oh, and I guess we're going to have to push the whole trial. Well, he's already done that once. So okay. I, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I feel like the answer is probably no. And you end up in a relatively serious situation where your lawyers get sanctioned or something if, you know, he doesn't get deposed before trial. And I don't think his lawyers really want to be sanctioned. So I think he does actually get deposed if we go to trial. I just think that it's going to be in a super annoying and inconvenient way because the entire legal strategy here, I would characterize as the I'm not touching you legal strategy, where it's like, (laughs) you know, like it's technically within the rules, but it's really annoying and like it's violating the spirit, but maybe not the letter of the law. And so that's kind of what I think is happening here. This is my favorite, like, it's not even a C plot. It's like a D or an E plot. Is it the state of Delaware is the state where all businesses get registered? Like Vox Media is a Delaware corporation, like just down the line, any big company is a Delaware corporation and they like hold themselves out in the market of states that you might register your corporation in is like being good at corporate law and having this court system that like adjudicates disputes efficiently. And Elon is fucking with that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so like this court like wants none of it. And then the lawyers in this court have other clients in these courts and their rep is like getting screwed with. Mm. And you can just see it's like, oh, this is bad. Like we look, we got we have a real nice little country club going here in Delaware. <laughs> like get out. Like you can just see that there's there's kind of like the part where the rules apply in the Delaware court is kind of because the state of Delaware's like image is on the line for where all these corporate disputes happen. And all of the players inside those disputes are pretty clubby. Like these lawyers are going to be back in front of this judge tomorrow on a different case. This judge has a rep with her appeals court, like just up and down the line. This is a group of people that work together to do these things all day long. And Elon's desires are sort of like, just tangential to it. So the other thing that's worth keeping in mind, Delaware being a center for corporate law, is that there are other Elon Musk suits that are currently pending in Delaware. Of course there are. Oh my, God. <laughs> my personal favorite is a lawsuit about his pay package, which incidentally is going to be going in front of this very same judge. That's great. Oof. So she's going to have some feelings about how much she can rely on what he has to say based on what's happened here. So I kind of feel like maybe as an being annoying as annoying as possible in order to like make Twitter unhappy is not the best long term strategy here. But I'm not Elon Musk, so who knows? Maybe everything works out beautifully for him. Not only does he walk away from the Twitter deal leaving, like, a smoking crater, he also, like, gets his amazing pay package, and that's the end of that. But I just think strategically it's a really bad idea to annoy judges. That's that's just my, like, non- you know, expert thought about the legal system is that maybe don't annoy the judges. <laughs> well, and is is it a fair characterization to say that Kathleen McCormick, who's the the chancellor in Delaware and is adjudicating this case, basically has made very clear that her general stance is like, I'm not having any of this bullshit. I don't want to play your dumb games. Let's just keep things moving. Like that seems to have been the, her overwhelming response this week was like, 
cute story, everybody. See you on October 17th. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she said so in one of her filings that she hadn't received. She hadn't received anything. And I just like that. I just saw something cross the um, guys. Hold on. Um, (laughs) She grant the stay. It looks like she granted the stay. Okay, we should do it live. This is great. Yeah, this is happening live. This is Breaking how we're going to end the segment. Here you go. <laughs> this feels extremely appropriate that this is happening live. This is just what my day has been like. I've been trying to keep up with the court filings, and honestly, I'm just sort of getting rolled over. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's look at this. Um, Should we read it together? <laughs> Yes. So the action is stayed until 5 p.m. on October 28th, 2022, to permit the parties to close on the transaction. If the transaction does not close by 5 p.m. on October 28th, 2022, the parties are instructed to contact me by email that evening to obtain November 2022 trial dates. Okay. And then in all caps, it is so ordered, which is an unbelievably fantastic way to end all communication that I intend to do from now on. I mean, that's what if you if you're a judge, you get to do it all the time. I know it rules. So she granted Elon's motion and said, OK, we're giving you a delay for basically 11 days. Right. The trial was supposed to start on October 17th. Right. And she's like, we're giving you 11 more days until October 28th to figure it out with Twitter. And if it doesn't, you have to let me know. And we're going to go to trial in November. Now, I know why she did this. Most cases should settle. The correct policy outcome in this case is not the government ordering Elon Musk to buy Twitter. Right. Yeah. It just is. That's just the funniest. It's the funniest. (laughs) And that's like courts don't want to do it. They want people to settle their own disputes. And so she's holding the sword and she's like, I've still got it. I'm just going to put it away for 10, 10 more days and you figure it out. And I think what they need to figure out is a discount on the price, right? Like, that's got to be what they're hold, holding them up. That's sort of the question to me. I actually think, given the SEC letter, it's not about an, it's not about a discount on the price at this point. I think it's about the condition for the deal. Um, so, uh, what I... Like, <laughs> this is live reacting. <laughs> like, what I, what I think is going on here, given that Elon has said he'll buy uh, the price he previously agreed to, and that the shareholders have already voted for that price, is that a lower price is unlikely. Mm-hmm. I think instead, Twitter wants confirmation this deal gets done. Like, they want to make sure that they're not Charlie Brown and Lucy isn't going to take the football away again. So my guess is, like, there's some sort of terms and conditions they want to hammer out. And, like, that's been part of the holdup in this whole process, is that... Twitter is saying that Musk has put conditions on this that weren't on the original deal. And I don't blame them for wanting to go ahead with the court case, especially because they think they're going to win and Elon Musk is going to have to pay all their legal bills in addition to all of his own legal bills. That said, like, I don't know, man, I I'm I'm still skeptical about this. We'll see. I if I'm in uh, Delaware in November, I'm going to be real annoyed. Uh, Let's put it that way. (laughs) <laughs> it's very cold. Liz is very excited about being Delaware in October. But once you get past October well, the, into November, the there's leaves no leaf are changing. Left to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I live in California. I don't get to see like fall foliage. So I was like, all right, well, that'll be really pretty. Like, I'm excited about that. Like, maybe I'll go for a hike or something. That'll be cool. It's over. Delaware in November, it's happening for you. So here's what I'll say. So the, the Twitter letter opposing Elon's motion to stay, which means the delay, they're like, They haven't, he still hasn't accepted his contractual obligations. He hasn't put a timeline on it. He won't give us a closing date. And so the judge here has at least solved one problem. She said, I'm giving you a date. If you're not 
if this date you don't hit it, October twenty eighth, we're we're going to trial. So we'll see. I mean, they they could hit it sooner, but there's the the threat is still there, and I think that the threat is the most important thing for Twitter. The underlying conditions, we'll see. It's just going to be weird when when he ends up in either direction. He ends up like squirreling out of it, or he ends up owning Twitter. Both extraordinarily weird outcomes. Obviously, you're live reacting here, but like, does this? Do we have any sense that this makes one or the other of those things any more likely? Oh, I think Elon Musk winds up owning Twitter. I think it's just about all over about the shouting at this point. Well, like, I have questions about the money because Twitter's lawyers said something earlier today to the judge, and and one of the things they said was like, people from these banks have testified that they haven't talked to him about closing the deal. Where's and so like, where is the money going to come from? Doesn't he have to sell Tesla stock? Doesn't he have to still get all of these banks to like do this all in eleven days? And for banks, that's three days. As I understand, so he's it. definitely already sold a bunch of Tesla stock. Okay. Um, so that that part is that part is handled. And then Matt Levine, who uh, I think you all know, we stand here at the Verge. Um, <laughs> stan a legend. Uh, been reading him since Dealbreaker. He has like the sort of blow by blow of how this kind of thing works. And he doesn't seem to think it's that big of a deal for these lawyers to get it done. Um, Maybe they haven't talked to each other in a while. Maybe it's going to be a little slower than one might anticipate. But he thinks he thinks it happens. And I have no reason not to believe him, not least of which is that he like he's a former corporate lawyer. Like he actually knows how this stuff gets done uh, from the inside. Now, do I think that there are there's a possibility of Elon Musk shenanigans. I do. I always think that there's a possibility for Elon Musk shenanigans. Um, so I'm like, we'll see. I I will believe the deal is closed when I see that the deal has closed and not before that, because I just, there are so, there have been so many like weird, like moments in this case, like, you know, uh, for instance, involving the All In podcast, which is hosted by Jason Calacanis. And like, I got to say, like, one of the things that I appreciate about the text is that he sounds exactly like he sounds on that podcast. So, you know, he's like legit. Yep. Yes. I have known Jason for a long time. Jason started in Gadget. He, there's no, the man is, there's no opacity to that man. <laughs> yeah. It's his best quality. It's he's, yeah. he's the same person in every, the, in every the game is the game. Yeah. Yeah. Dude's authentic. So, you know, like there's been a, a lot of stuff going on, some of which has been goofy, some of which has been ridiculous, some of which has just felt like stalling. Um, like a lot of the stuff this week to me has felt like stalling. But we'll see. I don't know. Like maybe this is like Elon turning over a new leaf and getting really excited about testifying in front of Congress about his social media platform and what he's doing to like oppose yeah. the various things that Congress thinks are bad. Oh, yeah. Liz assigned uh, me this story when we thought this deal was actually when we thought that letter meant something. She's like, you've got to write the Elon Musk, Elon Musk content moderation story. I will tell you, I'm going to write it when the deal closes. I'm just I'm not going to do it before. I'm not going to do my homework before I have to. Yeah, we've, um, been, we've been played before. But my proposed headline is straight up, welcome to hell, Elon Musk. <laughs> so, okay, and it's just a list I'm, of things that he's going to have to figure out that uh, basically no one in history has ever figured out. I just want Vergecast listeners to hold Neil accountable to this. Like, I just want you all to make sure that he files on time. I will write the headline, like, I'm going to pure pressure, pure pressure my boss into filing to me. Yeah, okay. Sorry, David. I just I have found myself wondering. So there was this like clearly strategic leak that the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal both had like an exactly simultaneous exclusive story saying that Elon had tried to get a lower price for Twitter. And all I've been able to wonder in like the 24 hours since is 
what is the number that Elon flips from I will pay this much to not own Twitter to I will pay this much to own Twitter? And it's like if Twitter just sits down and it's like the number is $30 billion, like would he rather pay $30 billion and then have Twitter at the end or would he rather pay $30 billion and then just go about his life and never have to think about any of this again? And I feel like there is a number somewhere where that flips it's, and I have been wondering a lot about what it is. <laughs> it, it ends in 69 for sure. That's yeah. the only thing we no, know. It's definitely, it's definitely 49 or 42, 69. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's a question that like, no matter what happens, he's still addicted to Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Like he can't quit this shit. So even if he pays the money and walks, he's like, you know, he's going to have that moment where he like gets home alone and it's all done. And like, you know, and he's still riding high, but there's no one there. Everyone knows this moment. Right. And then he like, there's a beat and he pulls out his phone. He's going to tweet. I love cheese. Right? And like, <laughs> you know, and there's like no one in the house. He's like talked about how it's weird when there's no one in his house. Yep. And then he like pulls out his phone and he's like, Oh, what app should I open? And it's Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then he just like tweets some insane shit about Russia and Ukraine again. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money he loses at the end of the day. Twitter has Elon. Elon doesn't have Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just they're the same thing now. All right. We've gone over, my friends, as always. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. There's some stuff you should read. Allison, there's like a lot of things happened today. Yeah. A lot of things happened today, including, I would remind you, the reveal of Chris Pratt's liar's mouth in the new Mario trailer. That feels like it was decades ago now. <laughs> so long ago. ago. Uh, Allison reviewed the iPhone 14 Plus. Big screen. I'm telling you, big, cheap screens. The way to go. Long battery life on that thing, too. Big battery life. Long battery life. Uh, the Steam Deck is now available with no reservations, which I can't believe Alex didn't do a whole hour on that on this it's, show. I'm fine. I'm, I already have mine. Go get one. You already have one. Of course, uh, the matter standard is not official. By the way, Twitter rolled out the edit button in the United States for Twitter <laughs> blue subscribers today. In another time, that was a whole hour of our show. Uh, it just like it's a huge week. Go look at the site. It's all on there. We got a quick post for days. We, yeah, we're over. Go read the website. It's full of oh, uh, the European Union passed another checkbox enforcing <laughs> Apple to use USB-C. Just a little closer. All the things. The interview on Decoder this week was Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of Intel. That was a pretty good one. We'll be back on Wednesday. Cybersecurity week is kicking off, right, David? That's, yeah, we're, we're going to do a big cybersecurity episode in a couple of weeks, but it is like like infrastructure week in America. Cybersecurity week is a couple of weeks long on The Verge. So we're, we're going to have some fun stuff over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, you can tweet at us. David is at Pierce. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Liz is at MS Lopato. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. Keep sending notes about the redesign. We're starting to ship little changes here and there, but there's some bigger ones coming. We love the feedback. It's great. Love you. That's the Vergecast. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at vergecast at theverge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. 
Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.